Welcome to Encounter. This is a podcast and radio show where we seek to encounter Christ, culture, and community. And in this week's episode, Joe Cole and I sit down and situate the Gospel of John. So we are going to establish who the author is. We're going to situate the time period. We're going to talk about what Jesus is trying to say through John when he says, in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh and situating the prologue as a really unique piece of literature. And we have been so blessed to study through this book and prep it for you guys. And what we want to do is really focus on what can we learn about Jesus through our study of John, specifically focusing on the seven signs um, that John gives us in his book. So, Please tune in. We have the next few episodes we've been prepping, we've been praying over, and because I have a baby coming in about a month now, we I anticipate a little bit of time where I won't be able to be available for three or four hours on a, on a Thursday night to, to prep. We are going to be recording two a week so that you guys don't miss out on the word. So again, this is not a supplement. This is not a replacement, I'm sorry, for attending a church, sitting under a pastor, studying the word of God on your own. This is a supplement if you really want to know God more. So please like, subscribe, and favorite this podcast and know that we are praying for you guys and we are constantly discussing and thinking of ways we can improve our content so that you guys can grow closer to Christ every minute that you're listening to what we're saying. Have a great week. conversation should happen among people who want to learn more about the Bible. So for me, these kinds of conversations where we sit down and we come with kind of notes already prepared, having studied the word a little bit, have done the cultural background knowledge and and dug into it, and then come and discuss through what God is teaching us. For me, that is my optimal point of learning the scripture. I learn from hearing it. Mm -hmm. If I listen to a sermon or the Bible project, but to talk through what I've learned with someone is the only way it becomes like cemented. Yeah. Uh, get, you, you get the all the nuances and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And then I get to say things that aren't maybe like the language might not be phrased right. And yeah. then you guys can correct me. You get to sound yeah. dumb. It's good. You word vomit yeah. for a yeah. little bit and then mm-hmm. you and then you piece it all together at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's yeah. what we plan on doing with this. So I'm not sure what I'm going to cover in the introduction, but I'm going to say it now. Uh, we're going through the book of John in... Uh, chunks. And tonight we're actually starting with just the the prologue, right? And mm-hmm. I will say that, I guess I say this every time I start a new book, but I've had a, not a harder time, but I've spent more time with less scripture with this. I thought that also with Jonah, but I've spent more time focusing on less scripture when I've studied the most recent books I've studied than I have in any of my past. And to to wade through the prologue in John has been a huge blessing and, and God's like opening up all these doors uh, and connections to other scriptures that we've read in the past. So as, you know, as encounter, um, we talk about encounter Christ culture and community. We are still going to have guests on. We're still going to cover topics as the Holy spirit kind of brings them to our attention, but we also don't want to lack the opportunity to fill your car on the way to work with the book of um, the Bible. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, Tonight, we are going to um, talk through our 
prologue of John, and I'm trying to move the boom stand so I can see my Bible, and I'm struggling. Um, so do uh, you want to read it first, and then oh, we're going to do the background first? Whichever one. What do you think? Yeah. I think we would read it and then background and okay. read it again. All right, cool. you can come with a new perspective. Yeah, so it's not that many verses, so if we read it twice, you'll be okay. Yeah. Right? Um, don't hit the plus 15 thing or whatever. <laughs> <on your laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, cool. How far do you want me to read to? One Chapters 1 through uh, 31. 1 through 31, <laughs> got it. <laughs> yeah, so just uh, verses 1 through 18. 1 through 18, all right. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, uh, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And in him was life that... Sorry. Uh, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light uh, that shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not uh, comprehend it. Uh, there was a man sent from God whose uh, name was John. This man came uh, for a witness to bear witness of the light and that all through his him might be might believe wow dyslexia kicking in hard uh, he might not he was not the light but he was sent to bear witness of that light there was the true light which gives light to every man coming unto the world he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as have received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor, uh, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, and the, the, the glory uh, of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This is he whom I've said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Right. So hopefully whenever on the podcast, whenever we mention scripture, you're interested in what we're saying. And so hopefully it's you perk up a little bit like, oh man, I, I, I can't wait for to hear what they're about to say and then talk about it. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you don't have the urge to hit that fast forward button. And if you do, then maybe you need to revisit the episodes where we talk about having a zeal for the word and a zeal for Christ and and cultivate that heart for God where you want to know more about him through his word. Um, so hopefully you just have a little heart check there. Because in the past, I will say when I've been, if, uh, if I've, I've been reading a book where they have a lot of scripture references, mm-hmm. and there has been times where I just want to skip to what they have to say about them because, like, oh, I know that scripture. Yeah. Mm. And then I get to what they have to say instead of just actually reading it pausing for a second, thinking about what I think it means and hearing their, you know, skipping for the commentary before you get to the scripture. Yeah, what changed that for me is one of getting a Bible that you could write in that has the site, because now I want to add that commentary from the book that I'm reading into my Bible. So now every time I read that verse, I'll remember. But had I not had that, I'd probably be the same way where it's like, I know that verse, I'll just keep reading Mm -hmm. instead of stopping and reading that verse. Mm. So that helped me tremendously. Yeah. Yeah, so before we get into 
exegeting and talking about what the passage means and applying it, let's set some of the cultural, historical, social background. Yeah. And Joe's our captain for that tonight. Oh, man. So he said he wants to talk for about 40 minutes, and then I'll hand it back. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not true. So um, what's special about the book of John? Like, what's unique about it here? Mm, well, so, okay, so uh, we talked about this in the, the episode that Sophia was on for, um, how not to read your Bible, mm-hmm. but, like, knowing, taking the hermeneutical approach, which is a big word for just saying, like, taking the history, the historical context, mm-hmm. the literature genre that it's written in, and then the theology that is being talked about, and making sure you're looking through those lenses. Yeah. Um, mainly, I think, and well, all three apply in this one, especially theology, but especially uh, history, where John's got what makes John's gospel unique from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But um, it was written significantly after those three. The date is debated. You know, there's some people who think every New Testament book was written before 70 AD, because not one of them mentions the destruction of the, of the temple. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's other people that think John's gospel was written anytime from 70 to, to 90, like along with Revelation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, it's just, that's, I mean, like, there's ex- internal, external evidence for all that, but I don't know, that's, you're never going to actually truly know. Mm-hmm. So, um, but jo- actually, interestingly, though, if I were to ask you, like, who do you think and I'm obviously setting you up to be wrong here, but if I were to ask you, like, who do you think the biggest theologian is in the New Testament? Like, who would you say? By sheer number of verses, like Paul. Yeah, and mm-hmm. most people would say today would say Paul, but in like the first century, they all considered John to be the theologian and Paul to be the missionary. Mm-hmm. So Paul was the church planner, John was the theologian. Yeah. So it's weird because we don't do that anymore. Like we just kind of, it's just Paul. I feel like everything's Paul now. You know, like Paul. yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's because he's the application, and it's nice to Correct. see that. Correct, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. which would make sense for a church planner. Mm-hmm. Um, but John was always looked at as like the spiritual gospel because what separated him from the other gospels was that he was, like you had mentioned earlier, like he wrote about who Jesus was and not what he did. Although they both, they both, they don't contradict one another, they complement one another, but they're focused on two different things. And he includes the signs the, of the the seven signs, seven that, he signs chooses, that he chooses, six of yeah. them were not mentioned in the other gospels. Correct, yeah. And that's another thing. So like the synoptic gospels are called that. Synoptic meaning from Greek like same eye, like optic, you know. So meaning they had the same mission. They're, same, they're trying to accomplish the same exact thing. So And that was all talking about the kingdom and this coming kingdom. All Jesus' parables were or the kingdom is at hand and the kingdom is like. And he would give a parable about what the kingdom is like. And John's gospels has almost none of that. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 90% of their Gospels were the same as the other ones, where almost were, big chunks were verbatim. Mm-hmm. Um, and John's, 90% of it isn't like the others. So it's significantly different. and It's, it's so refreshing it's to read after having read the other Correct. ones. Correct, yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. Mark is like spark notes for the other two. Right, yeah. Because it's shorter. Yeah, exactly, yeah. 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 Um, so... The main – one of the things I think the most important things is uh, why John wrote his gospel. Like because by the time he wrote, there's already three out. So they knew who – it wasn't a question as to is Jesus Messiah? Is he the king? That wasn't the question. That was already being 
lived out. I mean, people were being mm-hmm. crucified because they had a new king now, and it wasn't Caesar, and it wasn't, you know. So that wasn't the the issue. The, the question what was birthed from Gnosticism, which was the problem in, in, the, in the first century. Um, so John literally ends his... Let me read the verse, though. Do you want to explain Gnosticism, too? It's a yeah, 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 yeah. But so John literally, unlike the other Gospels, John literally writes why he wrote, and like you said, he, mm-hmm. the seven signs, like why he wrote his book. Yep. He goes, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that believing you may have life in his name. So he's literally saying, like, I chose these miracles to show you something, so look deep into them. Like, why pick these ones? Um, but yeah, so Gnosticism, actually, and what's crazy, Gnosticism, like, still affects us today. Hmm. And we don't even realize how much, but like, um, basically, it's it's the belief that anything spiritual is good and anything physical is bad. So the physical things here on this earth are just a representation of something more spiritual, something so up in the heavens or, or somewhere yeah. else. Mm-hmm. And with that belief, they they had this dualism where like they couldn't combine the two. So like with Gnosticism, like either Jesus was fully God and not man, or he was fully human and not God. And once they couldn't combine the two, and that is why Jesus writes his yeah, that's what John. That's why John writes oh, his gospel. To, but yeah, to, to to answer that um to answer that question. And um, what's interesting to me is that, like, Gnosticism comes directly from, like, uh, the Platonic way of thinking, like Plato's mm-hmm. philosophies. And that still one, – one area that I've recently discovered that, like, it, it, it genuinely affects wrongly is, is heaven. Mm-hmm. Like, a, the, co- the Christians, the common view of heaven is very Gnostic and not Jewish. And that's the two. That's the two differences. Like, so. Um, well, it's interesting you talk about Gnosticism with, with determining whether or not the the deity and humanity of God could exist at the same time, because that's where Jehovah's Witness differs in, in theology. Yes, and just to in the one time that Jehovah's Witnesses came to my house and my brother addressed them when I was in the living room, he brought them to John 1 mm-hmm. and he compared the two translations. And this was one of the verses. Yeah. It was is literally the first verse because the, the Jehovah's Witness Bible, instead of saying, um, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God, their Bible reads, in the beginning the Word was, instead of uh, in the beginning was the Word. Um, and the word was with God, and the word was a God. So they add mm, an A, a before yeah. it because they have this whole thing about there's there's no article before God in that scenario, so it's a lowercase God. Um, when in seven other places there's no article before God, it's very clearly referring to Jehovah in the New Testament. So the references are in uh, Matthew, Luke, John, and Romans, where there's so many different references where they're referred to God without an article, and it's still very clearly talking about Jehovah. And here, it's the same sentence structure, but they it's the only way to work their way around of having the humanity of God. Right, right, right. Which is probably people are, are, are skeptical of the chosen, you know, the certain episodes, right? Because they're worried about the humanity of the right of God. Is, is he too human? Is he or too is he, human? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's is that like mm-hmm. Gnosticism? What you're talking about? Jehovah's Witness, kind of a, a Gnostic belief. I, well, I don't think it's a. I think it just stems from that. It stems from just it. like our. 
I wouldn't say Christianity is Gnostic belief, but we have these ideas of what heaven is, and it comes from that Gnosticism where like we, everybody spiritual spiritualizes everything, and we're just going to be like these glowing, hovering things, and that's and like, and it's actually going to be very much more simple, just like the Garden of Eden. It, like you it, see about it in the beginning, it and he brings says, about a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth. Like, yeah, it says like new heaven, new earth. Yeah. So the thing yeah. that you have now, just new, just new. Yeah, just without, just like the garden. Mm -hmm. Like, so what? Now, so what else is cool is that like when you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, you can have this perception. If you just read it straight through, you can have this perception that everything happened, that everything Jesus did when he started and finished was was done, like in one year. Like he just did all these things in one year, and he, and he banged it out, and then that was it. Like, but then when you read John's, you start seeing um, certain time indicators, which are cool. Where he talks about there was three Passovers that Jesus went up to the to the uh, temple, so that's at least three years right there. So that's where we get the, the three years of okay. Jesus' ministry. That's the main um, marking for that time frame. Yeah, and then the three he mentions three other festivals too, like the Fe Feast of Tabernacles mm -hmm. and, that he yeah. went to go. So you have other. Um, was that? Is that right before it talks about being living water, right? Yes. Chapter 7. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, Feast of Tabernacles. That's what, in the Rabbi Jesus book. Yes. That's what that reference comes from. That's what. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it is cool to see that, like, Gnostic, not cool, because actually this is, it's not good, but. Uh, it's rad. It, yeah, like, the first, the first, we're talking about, like, taking, taking culture to, reading a scripture through your culture and not through its original culture and the danger in that. And that's what was happening in the first century where you had all the apostles were Jewish. They each sleep and breathe Jewish. And then, but the common universal language of the time was Greek. So you have Jewish thinkers writing in Greek grammar. So the first century, these first century churches that were influenced by Greek and even the Hellenistic Jews started importing Greek thinking into Jewish thinking. Mm. And that's why all of a sudden, like, some things have to be, and we still struggle with this. Like, we still have to, like, things have to be either or. They can't be both and. And that's why they had a hard time with Jesus' his humanity and his deity. Mm -hmm. He's either human or he's, or he's God. Which one is it? And it's like, no, in Jewish thought, you can be both and. Mm -hmm. You're both human and you're God. Mm. And... You know, that's so it's the first we always talk about that, but even the first century, like they were reading Jewish thought with Greek thinking, and it completely messed up the way they interpreted they, they struggled with it. And one thing that's also interesting, too, about like the Greek and Jewish, the way that they saw different things is like we talk language shapes culture. So if you're talking from you know, you go from Hebrew to Greek, and then the mindsets in both. Some of the t some of the choices that John makes in this opening prologue for words, like the words, uh, the use of the word logos, um, when he's talking about the word, mm -hmm. had two different meanings in Greek and Hebrew, and he meant both. Right. So it's interesting how that's when you get to see the Holy Spirit. Like, there's that's not an that may be an author decision, you know, as John's sitting there yeah, thinking yeah. through both. Yeah. But like the Spirit has to guide that for him to be able to choose a word that can be tied into the Trinity, right? And mm -hmm. and have all these like theological deep meanings, and then have it fit in both Greek and Hebrew, mm -hmm. where the meaning of that word means almost two different things. Especially when he right, especially when Hebrew, like we we talked about before, only had like eight thousand words. Yeah. And Greek had like double, more than double, you and, know. And, and that's when you're just blown away. Like, thank you, God, for like yeah. making it so that in both of these cultures simultaneously, they were able to accurately depict you. We, and we talked about that uh, a while ago on the, I think that was the Christmas podcast, talking about how like God's 
chose this specific time to come because there was that language overlap of like how to communicate and get these ideas across effectively in that yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and is that the one where we talked about what, like when, when all the different things that had to happen, like the pathways yeah. in Rome mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and yeah, how yeah, the mail yeah. system and yeah, like all mm-hmm. those things. Yep. Yeah. That was cool. Yeah, that's a shout lot, out a lot to Encounter that. podcast. A lot, that, yeah. a lot of that's from Jay Warner Wallace's second book, Person of Interest, mm-hmm. where he just talks about like everything that had to happen post Bible for the Bible to get out and and mm-hmm. function and not be squashed, and how the Holy Spirit had to work everything out. Yeah. I'm thankful that there are people out there that did that research to come to this. Yeah, get those short Seriously. clip notes. It's just the it's just the coolest. It's like it's like the paradox of the cross, where it's like the irony is that like everybody. Hates on Rome, but if it wasn't for Rome and a lot of their inventions, the scripture would have never gotten out. Yeah. You know, so God mm-hmm. uses the, the, the evil. You know, mm-hmm. um, even to like another level of that. Without the Roman persecution, the, yeah. they wouldn't have left Jerusalem. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Just in general, the persecution mm-hmm. is, what, is what makes some flourish, which isn't the, the the only test for whether a religion is is correct. Because there's tons of people that have a persecution complex, but yeah, yeah. they are persecuted. It doesn't validate your religion, but sometimes mm-hmm. when it's the right religion, it's a great thing. John and you really unpack it like in its entirety you start to get a little bit more of a grip on and I say a little bit more because nobody has a full grip on it but on Revelation mm. and just nobody th- especially especially in the field of, of Jews like nobody throws around sevens more than John mm-hmm. it seems like to me at least like yeah. they're just everywhere um, and one thing that I was, God bless you. You about to sneeze? Huh? Okay. Let it go. Just let it out. You talked about it, so. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen anybody do that. Ugh. Continue. Are you good? Yeah, I, well, I, you draw attention to it, and I got self conscious. Oh, well, I didn't think that was going to happen. God. You don't look good. I get stage fright. <laughs> okay. So I don't know if you saw this, but like, um, Later in the book, the way, so the way John is laid out is he's got the, the prologue, mm-hmm. and then he's got, they call it like chapters 1 through 12 is the book of signs, mm-hmm. and then the, the latter half is the book of his exaltation and glory, and then the ending with his epilogue, is that what you call it? Yeah. Um, but it's split up symmetrically like that, and um, one of the things that I recently discovered is like the John 7 I am statements, mm-hmm. and how they line up perfectly with the order of the layout of the things that needed to be in the tabernacle. Okay. So if you go through Exodus 40 and he says, like, first you need to have this, then you need to have that, then the bubble. They're the exact order of the I am statements in, in, in mm-hmm. chapters 1 to 12. Very cool. And that's new to me. I didn't know that. Yeah, that, that, that's crazy. And I have them here if you, if you want to, like, hear them. Yeah, I do. And, and also, who's the author of this book? What book? Book of John? John. Which John? That's debated, but okay. But I don't think but, we hit on that yet. So, oh, okay. Because so, you're talking about this John and applying it to the, the same guy who wrote Revelation, right? So that's making a statement. In, yeah, in yeah, itself. yeah, yeah. So, so 
people debate. There's like four options, and it's either they people think it's John the Apostle, son of Zebedee, right? John the Elder, who who lived in Jerusalem and was part of the early church. Uh, Johannine community, which people basically John's disciples that all came together and wrote it, or Lazarus, which is a random one. Um, but there's internal and external evidence. External quickly being that almost all the first century Christians that wrote about it um, just accredited John the Apostle as the, and that's we're talking like if he wrote it in ninety. Or wherever they say seventy to ninety, and, and they're talk, they're giving credit to it in one hundred thirty A.D. And they're That's generally it. correct about the other books of the Bible and their authors. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So just real quick, you have like um, um, Irenaeus, who was a direct disciple of Polycarp, mm-hmm. who was a direct disciple of John. John. Said John, the disciple of the Lord, who leaned back on his breast, published the gospel while he was a resident at Ephesus in Asia. Um, you have Clement of Alexandria. Uh, last of all, John composed a spiritual gospel. So uh, these are just, I wasn't going to list every one, but all the first century authors pretty much agreed that John the Apostle was the uh, author. Yeah. Um, That's like, I would trust Martin Luther King's grandchild to say, to tell me information about Martin Luther King. That I didn't, might, yeah, right, that I might not have known about. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, but what is annoying though, it doesn't, none of the gospels actually start off with the authors. Mm hmm. They have like salutations, right? Yeah, well, they don't. Well, like, the letters like, to the the, the letters do. to like the right the, the epistles all do like Paul an apostle from you know mm. greetings brothers and they he all just start, start with like the narrative that. of Christ. Yeah, he just goes in with it, which by the way is huge because the other ones, I mean, at least Matthew and Luke start with the genealogy because they're trying to show you the the kingship of Jesus and how he's the son of David. They all have different angles, right? <laughs> John's not trying to. They already know he's king by this point, so John's. Literally starting off with no genealogy. He's starting off with, in the beginning was the word. And mm-hmm. that's kind he's of trying to... Deity. Yeah, his humanity of, and his deity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got... So, okay, so some of the internal evidence. And when you say internal evidence, that just means like within the writing itself, how do we know that it's John? And oftentimes John used the phrase, when talking about himself, he used the phrase, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Mm-hmm. And that was mainly to distinguish because, as we just read in the first eight, mm-hmm. there's other Johns. Yeah. John the Baptist, you like know. Hamilton. Yeah. So, right. So, um, that was to distinguish him from John the Baptist. So, just some of the verses, like John 13, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. Mm-hmm. That same disciple appears at other known locations. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now, that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. Um, and then you have, and he, who, and he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. And then you have, this is a big one. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Somebody cross-referenced that with the other gospels. You know, that was Peter and John together. Okay. So the, the internal evidence points to like John the apostle. I'm convinced, but it's like, I'll get to heaven and God will be like, nah, it was, it was this John. But okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. This yeah. seems to make the most sense though. Right. Because the scope the in- of everything else. Correct. And the, the intimacy that he knew. Of Jesus, and even the even the phrase like the one whom he loved, like a lot of this is about the love of Christ. You know, for God, John writes for for God to love the world, right? It's it's a lot about it's about the love of Christ and the love of God and just the love. 
and just phrases looking being repeated at the similar literary styles from Revelation. To John yeah, the sevens. And yeah, the sevens, yeah. And, and then yeah, reflecting mm-hmm. all the way back to Exodus and those sevens. So, what were the sevens from Exodus? Before I ask you to explain the the author. Okay, so the seven. You want to go one one for one, or do you want to go? Uh, you read the uh, go to it. Yeah, John seven I am statements. Yeah, you start reading one of the uh, old ones. And I'll so, pull this so these are all from Exodus forty, like one through sixteen. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So in 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 Exodus, it says he's talking about the tabernacle and the, and the order of how you have to structure it. You shall bring in the table and arrange the things that are to be set in order on it. And then later it's explained that's the table. The table he's talking about is the table of showbread. That's Exodus forty four. Then in John six thirty five, it says, "I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst." And then again in Exodus 40, right after that you have, you shall bring in the lampstand and light its lamps. In John 8, 12, it says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In Exodus 45, not 45, in 40, verse 5, it says, and put the screen for the door of the tabernacle. And Jesus said to them in John 10, 7, again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And in Exodus 46, you have... Then you shall set the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. John ten eleven. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So that one talking about the, the altar of the burnt offering and being the sheep. So um, Exodus 47, and you shall set the laver between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. As a symbol of baptism. Yeah. And equally, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me... Though he may die, he shall live. John eleven twenty five. And then Exodus forty eight, you shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen at the court gate. John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So that the, the that screen he's talking about at the court gate, that's the the, the only way in. The only yeah. way into the tabernacle courtyard. Yeah. Those those it's all white and those three are like yeah. discolored, red, yellow, red, purple, and white. The only way to get to the Father yeah. in truth. Right. It's through that door. Yes. So, and then Exodus that, 49 to 16, and you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it, and you shall hollow it and all its utensils, and it shall be holy. Um, and that whole 40, verse 49 to 16 is all about whenever the anointing oil is always associated with holiness and the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. So that if you read John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Right. So all these things without their anointing oil are nothing, without okay. the holiness of them, you know? So hmm. I, some I, of them I would have picked up on. Like some of them I yeah. wouldn't have made the Well, once you see right the away. flow, then yeah. you're like, okay, he's meant, he's definitely got a thing going here. Like yeah. they got to line up, you know? Mm-hmm. But then when I heard him explain, I was like, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and just what I was saying when we first started, when I, like before we started the podcast, is like, not before, at the beginning of the episode, how it connects to so many different spots. Mm-hmm. Like, talking about the tabernacle, and this is all tabernacle language. Yes. Right, so Jesus became the new tabernacle, and that's mm-hmm. some of the language we'll get to in a minute when we start talking about it, and that reflects back to not only Exodus, but also a lot of Genesis 1 language. Yes, Permeated yes. through this, this prologue, which so it's like, where it's God like, now dwells with humanity. Yes. Yeah. And so it's a concentric circles, like you always say with the, but it's, I, I yeah, it's just a lot of circles kind of overlapping like spaghetti, you know? Yeah. Organized spaghetti. Organized spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not exact copies into each yeah. thing. It's right, just they're right. pulling elements from yeah. different things 
to make not an allegory. I don't think that's the right word, but I would say almost the tabernacle almost seems like an allegory because everything's a symbol of Christ coming. Yeah, but I guess yeah. Is there a word for that? I don't know. Because part- is it just prophecy fulfilled? I don't know. Like what is it the fulfillment of a not fulfilled thing? I don't know. Like, I- well, allegory is there's a literal and an allegorical level mm-hmm. at the same time the whole time. So it's not it's not necessarily it's like. If it's, here's an image that the listeners can't see, but like if you have like the two planes, one's on top of the other, that's mm-hmm. how you explain allegory. Right. Um, the plane isn't on top of it until a long time after. Literally. Literally. So you get like spiritually it's like, though it is spiritually it yeah. is, but like you have the the literal plane, and they're like, all right, cool, got right, it. Right, right, right. And then the allegorical, like the second level, the spiritual level, comes in two thousand years later. You know. You know, I you always hear good. No, no, no. I was I was trying to think. Like, is there anything that God does that isn't that way? I feel like everything from the beginning has been allegorical and and symbolic of something else that Jesus is going to fulfill and be. I, that one's tough, though, because I would say, like, if you're looking at the Exodus story, you can you can see, like, human nature and the Israelites, and you see God being persistent. But I wouldn't say it's a symbol. Like, it could just be, like, an actual representation of, like, mankind. But that's, but like, what that's not something God did. Like their rebellion and, and how they acted isn't the allegory, but how God maybe yeah. intervened and what he did with them is. Because you look at any example, like when you have Abraham and Isaac and at the top oh, of yeah. the, mm-hmm. the mountain, right? That mm-hmm. the, 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 like we were talking about with the- Rosh Hashanah? Yeah, and the, and the yeah. Shafar, so, like yeah. mm-hmm. the ram's horn um, and the ram being stuck. That was God's, yes. that was God's mm-hmm. input in that right. situation. And, and that, that was, was a symbol. Yeah. That was a symbol of the Christ. You know, Correct, the, yeah. God's hand usually ends up- yeah, because it's all foreshadowed in the Christ. Because it's mm-hmm. a unified story. So, so you're Jesus. saying if if God, to Mackie. Saying, <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying if God supernaturally intervenes, it's an allegory. If it's or at least a symbol. I'm not. Sure, I'm not sold an allegory yet, but yeah. Okay, and then if it's a something that happens in humanity that God uses, it's just a representation. Yeah, Do yeah like that? that's the conclusion I've just come to. Yeah. All right, I like that because even like uh, you know the is the Israelites leaving Egypt and and, and going through the Jordan like mm-hmm. that becomes a representation later when John the Baptist goes that he baptizes the at the Jordan yeah. like claiming Jerusalem is now Egypt we have to come out here and purify you know yeah. like so mm-hmm. these things do ha- yeah I, I like that and even even this Sunday when we played the song Egypt that's the verse that I was thinking of and the the, the symbolic aspect of the tenth plague being the the firstborn like how cool is it that the firstborn Child being sacrificed as the tenth plague was what set everyone free. Yes. So, like, mm. just that allegory alone of like the, one day the firstborn will set everyone free from bondage, mm. and that being an allegory where mm. God intervened. This is where I'm going to be, mm-hmm. you know, and that's that's your symbol. Right. It is so cool. I mean, just from a literary perspective, I don't know how people aren't blown away. Yeah. By this. Right. In general, I actually heard somebody say I might have mentioned this before, but they were like saying if if it were ever to be proven. That if it even could be, but if there were, if if it could ever be proven that the Bible was written by a man or men that invented all of this, and then the Jesus to go with it, and mm-hmm. like they, he was he was like, I would then worship those men, yeah, because it's that <laughs> because it's that insane. Mm-hmm. He, and and that's like a weird. It's weird to hear, but it's I get it. You know, mm-hmm. it's like because it itself is so it's so holy divine. And perfect. Yeah, that it's like that I, whoever wrote it's got to be God. You're right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so happens it's God. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. What are the odds? Yeah. 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 
So that's really cool. I like this the way this is laid out. The I am statements. That's cool to me when you're when you're laying that out. Yeah, I was talking to the pastor about it like two weeks ago, and I was just like, yeah, I just heard this messianic uh, rabbi like talk about it. And he goes, oh my god, he's like, aren't, he goes, aren't they just amazing? Like he was saying, whatever you're saying. And I was like, it's it's actually mind blowing. But mm-hmm. yeah, I actually I I feel like I owe somebody a phone call because back. Uh, five years ago, 10 years ago, there was a guy who was a Messianic Jew who got saved after he was raised Jewish. And he was in our church for a long time. And when he would pray in Hebrew all the time, um, he was like, fluent in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. And he had always like Hebrew prayers he memorized from school. And at my brother's wedding, like he asked him to bless the meal and he got up and hit his deep booming voice and like, oh, you know, so yeah, 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 and yeah. pray. And I was like, oh, that's, that's really cool. Like that's, yeah, <laughs> I just don't know what it sounds mean. so <laughs> spiritual. Yeah. Um, and at one point he had a Messianic Jew come in and run, um, like a Passover dinner, and it was really cool. There was like dancing and everything afterwards, Mm -hmm. and I hate dancing, so I I, I just left, but I wish Even like line line type dancing in that It was line dancing. You hate that too as well? Yeah. Okay. I don't know if you just like, you know, like freestyling I just look really bad doing it, no matter what it is. Okay. I I can choose now. I'm an adult, so I can choose not to do it. Just to go off on a little bit of a rabbit trail on that, how do you know what you look like when you're dancing? Videos. Oh, okay. All right. I just uh... and also I feel the twitchiness of what's happening. Oh, okay, you know, because <laughs> I I would say that I don't know how to dance, but people say I do, so I just go with it. So whatever I comes, yeah. Naturally. I think I if I overcommitted it. to it, you could do it. Yes, but no. If, I also know what people look like when they've overcommitted, Cole, and yes, yeah. that's not what I want to be known as. <laughs> oh, okay. But I all love right. that Touché. you do Touché. it. Touché. But yeah. I'm also just like I don't, I can't. Um, yeah, anyway. So for – I think if that was, that's one thing that Allison wished was different about me, it would be that I would like like dancing. Hmm. Does she like she dancing? She does, yeah. Mm-hmm. And she's okay. always got to find like girlfriends at weddings to dance. I'll do slow dancing. That's easy. It's like standing. It's like swaying. It's like yeah. almost falling. You know, <laughs> To stay in your little your little box. Was that from uh, – yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, not onto that either. No snapping. No, oh, okay. <laughs> so – you sound like a joy to dance. <laughs> I'm, I'm from Footloose. <laughs> I'm from dad. dancing. <laughs> Okay, so do you want to actually wade through these these words a little bit? Yeah, good. So let's sit inside of these verses for a little bit. And something that's interesting about these, and a lot of the stuff pulling from a couple different sources, because when you when I when I read through this, it's I've quoted this before. I've used these first few verses to talk about the deity of Christ and how Christ is always around from the beginning. But if you notice, there's some definitely some um, structural issues that you have to work through in order to understand what they're trying to convey. And it sounds complicated, but if you if you want an actual visual for some of this, uh, the Bible Project has a great intro video to John 1, and mm-hmm. it, it shows you the symmetry of how there's two sets of three, mm-hmm. and they each have three um, – there's two sets of three, and each one has three points. And so once you see the symmetry of what you're, what you're reading here, it makes it a lot more sense. So just for an example, um, verses 1 through 13, when Cole read them, it has a certain kind of layer to them for each one. So looking at, let me just make sure I have this. So the each one goes creation, witness, choice, 
that's the first one. So creation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word mm-hmm. was God, and the Word was with God. We get creation. And then we get witness in verse 6. There was a man who was sent from God whose name was John. And this man um, came as a witness to bear witness of the light. So then he became the witness of the light. And then it changes into verse 10 in the third part was he was in a world and that world chose not to become children of the light, children of darkness. So you get creation, witness, choice. And then again... In verse 14, you get, and the word became flesh. And that's where it starts, that's where it would kind of throw me off. Because it's like, and the word became flesh. That already happened in verse 1. Right. You scroll up, you see, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word became flesh. We already got the story. Why is it restarting? And it's because we're repeating a pattern Mm -hmm. for emphasis. And in poetry, you call that repetition for? Emphasis. Yeah. So um, I just pointed the other literary uh, English major in here. Um, <laughs> so sorry. Was not me in case you okay. guys were wondering. <laughs> um, <laughs> <boy>. Closing networking. <laughs> IP address. <laughs> and so it says the word became flesh. So we have our, our um, oh, what is it? We have our creation, creation and our uh, incarnation, and then we have John bore witness, and then we have the um, word was given through Jesus Christ, and the only begotten Son in the bosom of the Father has declared him. So then you get your your creation, your slash incarnation, your witness, and your choice. And so you repeat those two things. You're not restarting a narrative. You're just repeating for effect that mm-hmm. in this book, this is a prologue for the book. So prologue serves different if you've ever read any um, like Shakespearean play, all of them start with a prologue. I'm teaching the Crucible right now. It has a prologue. And the prologue usually summarizes the whole play mm-hmm. in a 14-line sonnet. Right. And so the 14-line sonnet tells you the ending. It tells you the middle, and it just summarizes it in a bite-sized chunk. So if you were to summarize John, it's creation, witness, and choice. Right? And it's – and the No, it's literally that. Yeah. It's yeah. broken. So he and so they're emphasizing the format of this before you go in. Hmm. Um, I can recite the one for uh, Rome and Juliet, but like it, it tells the setting, it tells the characters, and it even tells you that they die in the end. Spoiler alert. Yeah, I was gonna say cheese. Yeah, spoilers. No problem. But it tells you in the beginning. So then you're you're. I love that format. I wish like all works were written that way because I like knowing where it's going beginning. and then fill the blanks in. Yeah, mm. like very like Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Uh, in media, Ray. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. Greek. Yeah. So for uh, just seeing how that flow through should help us understand, okay, so this prologue stands separate from the rest, and then we get the voice in the wilderness. We get John, and then we get the introduction of John the Baptist, and mm-hmm. then we get the miracle start, right? And as he goes through, um, we get we meet his disciples, and so the narrative of the life of Jesus starts after he tells us what he's going to tell us. And so the rest of John, from halfway through one through... The rest of the chapters are all filling in the blanks between creation, witness, and choice. And I like that. I like that it opens like you're saying. Like it opens with here's what this is all going to be about, mm-hmm. and then it closes, which I already read in the beginning, with like, and this is why I wrote it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like there should be no confusion in this whole entire book. Yeah, at all. But there is, you know. Yeah. But that's good. That's definitely something like to continue to look through in the book because even the rest of chapter one, I'm, I'm looking at like, oh, this is what he's talking about creation. Yeah, right. This is where he's talking about witness. And this is mm-hmm. where he's talking about the choice that they made, like the disciples later on, that they made a choice to follow him. Right. Like and then, stuff, yeah. So. And then Nicodemus had to make a choice. Mm-hmm. The woman at the yeah. well had to make a choice. Like mm-hmm. everyone, like that pattern flies throughout. So, and that, back to the hermeneutics, like if you keep that 
always in your mind. Like, yeah. okay, he's writing because of this. He's writing to show his divinity or humanity. And he's writing, yeah, you just mm. keep reading through that. And like, it helps you understand what he, why he was doing what he was doing. Yeah, it just makes everything more clear. Mm-hmm. And just a couple things you can learn just from the first few verses. And we talked a little bit about with the uh, Gnostic slash um, Jehovah's Witness belief, but the the Trinity is revealed, or at least aspects of the Trinity is revealed mm-hmm. in just the first few verses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the idea says the it sounds like word semantics, but it's so important. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So right off the bat, we get that the word, capital W, God, was there in the beginning. And then we get the word defined as Jesus soon. Mm-hmm. So Jesus was there in the beginning. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is a part of the Godhead. And the word was with God. So it is not, at this point, it's, it's, it doesn't just say, and the word was God. It at one point qualifies that it was with God. So it yep. gives it a separate personality and its distinctness from God. Mm-hmm. So that's such a deep theological statement to make about the Godhead. Right? To like two things distinct, being, being the same and distinct. Same and distinct. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, 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 what is that? That word, that, Im- that image gets carried out through. That's a very important word. And like he uses that in marriage mm-hmm. and the meaning is like very unique to, and this is what I was talking about. Like the, when you look at it from another language or another culture, like we don't really have anything like that. Mm-hmm. So we can't explain it, but Jews did. And it was the word echad. And that literally means to become one. Mm-hmm. So like it's the same word when Adam and in Eve Genesis. became one or, mm-hmm. or in marriage, you become the two become one. It's echad. You're both different, but you're both one. Mm. So that, that gets carried throughout yeah. scripture. So that's, that's, that's very important in Hebrew thinking that like the Greeks didn't know what to do with it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and just the, the imagery, like we, we mentioned the, the Genesis imagery here, but uh, we get in Genesis, you get the darkness pervade over the earth and God spoke his word and spoke light into the world. And then you get here, that the word became the light of the world. Mm-hmm. And so it's this full circle. God created the world and spoke light into it. And now we have, and honestly, he spoke world, the, he spoke light into Genesis um, and then Adam and Eve had a choice, right? And there's you yeah. get the choice, the yeah. witness, and they had a choice at the, at the Garden of Eden. And here he speak light into the world. They have a choice to follow the light or not follow light. And again, it's not a perfect allegory there, but they're just pulling from the imagery of Genesis. Right. If you're reading this, knowing your scriptures, you would immediately think of the be- of the beginning. Yeah. You're immediately going to Genesis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the image of the light and um, the way that Timaki always puts it is the chaos waters and speaking into it. And mm-hmm. I think this is a, a good... Uh, kind of way to ground it into a conversation about today, though, like what institutions and churches and stuff, when you pull Jesus out of it, get more chaotic, right? So like in in the role of, in the, there's water is a giant role here too. Like mm-hmm. throughout John, when you see yeah. um, the the waters in Genesis, how the, the God speaking calmed the waters and they became, right. whenever there's chaos, God speaking brings order. Mm-hmm. And... Today, you know, we're in a world that seems just completely full of chaos. Like, is is your Jesus bringing order, you know, into your life? Is it is it making things make sense? Yeah, and, and another thing, like, are you overcomplicating things, and not, mm. you know, and not just focusing on Jesus? Because there's there's other things that are overcomplicating it, and you're trying to fill that void with are just going to provide more water and chaos and more, as opposed to calm it. And I can think of just examples and like the local churches. But in local churches, are you overcomplicating the gospel? 
are you layering too many levels of uh, things to attract people in, mm -hmm. or are you just giving Christ? You know, are you speaking word into their? Are you speaking light into their chaos? You know, and calming their hearts with the simple word of Christ. I think it's because it's so hard for us to adopt that mentality that even Christ had, where it's again, it's a both end, where it's like. God's heart is that he wants no man to perish. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it narrows the way if you find it. Mm. And like, if you're just given the gospel and the numbers go down, then so be it. Like the numbers go down. You know, if your congregation thins, then your congregation thins. Like, And just being transparent about our podcast choices recently. Yeah. Right? Because to be honest, we could cover topics that we're not that interested in that would get a lot more clicks. Yeah. Right, just last week we had a long talk about how to title episodes. Like we're, we think about this stuff that much, mm -hmm. where we're thinking like, if we title it this, we might get pe more people to click on it, and then then they'll listen. Right. Or do we title it something that's you know may not be as eye catching but accurate to what right. we talk about? So for this week, do we call this like, <laughs> was John hot or something? Instead of what you know, instead of the pro, I would say no. Yeah. I would now say, we can title it. Keep going. I would, say, <laughs> I would say anybody in this. I can't picture anybody being attractive. Yeah, anybody in this century wasn't couldn't have been attractive. Like it's well, unless you're rich, I guess. I don't know. I, there probably there had to be like, good-looking people. I just don't. I can't picture. Yeah, I just can't picture them. Yeah, I, I don't know about the hygiene one because like actually Jewish people were pretty hygienic. So yeah, At, true, but but these were nomadic people. Like like we talk. All the time that you guys say something and we move on because I've already like pro I'm like processing yeah. this thing. So I'm sitting here. I'm like cross referencing this okay. one verse. Um, uh, all things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made uh, that was made. So that's verse three of John one. And we went through Hebrews. Was that like through two or three months ago? Mm -hmm. And the first uh, verse in Hebrews is saying that. Um, or second verse. Uh, and in these last days, uh, has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heirs of all things. Through him, uh, also he made the world. Like talking about that, that that uh, that creation was that Christ was there at creation, and that it was created through him, like through Christ. So just using that that parallel, that it's not just John talking about this. So pulling it from other scriptures. That's hey, what was that brain. reference you just used? So that's uh, Hebrews one two. Pulling uh, in from John 1, 2, 1, 1, 3. Yeah, and, and that was – in Hebrews, I'm not sure if it's that exact reference, but maybe later that, that the world was made through him and for him. Is that what you just It read? might be later because that one's just talking about okay. through him. So it's like the idea that he's the object and the re recipient, mm -hmm. which is yeah. it's crazy that the world was created for and through. And then you get that same sort of, um, same sort of language when he says – so I think you're thinking of first. I think you're thinking of Colossians, because I was just about to read Colossians 15. Yo, go ahead. First, no, I'll find first, my verse. It's there. First, chapter one for. <laughs> he's going to write the, it in. He is. The, he's going to. <laughs> oh man! First John 15 John, and a half. Revelation warns about that. No. Yeah. Um, so in, in Colossians uh, chapter one verse 15, he says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn mm -hmm. over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Which is also in Hebrews talking about how he holds all things together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he's not only created it all, 
and it's for him, but he also holds it all together right. throughout eternity. Now, through eternity. You, you look a little mind blown over there. No, no, I'm trying to find the verse that I'm putting in the Bible. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, got it. Um, in uh, verse 15, uh, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me and uh, for he was before me. So he's talking about like, I guess it's not the exact same idea of like being mm-hmm. through and for, but he's saying he is coming after me, but he has been before me forever. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like he was at at creation yeah. and he's coming after me now. Mm-hmm. The idea of like, yeah, I don't know. There's that, that same paradox of like, he was, yeah. he's, he's coming, but he's been here. Yeah. 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 As in like the world is being, yeah. is, before is, Abraham was, I am. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Nice connection. That took, it was really quick. Yeah. <laughs> We got yeah, there. that just yeah. rolled off the tongue. Yeah, it's only 18 verses, and I couldn't find one of them. I read it three times. <laughs> I just reread it three times. Oh, man. Yeah, so as you uh, person, the, there's two uh, images in here that I really like. So the image that kind of bookend a lot of these uh, thoughts here in John, and I just read them again twice, so I know where they are. Um, for the image of a man like sitting down and holding the word in his hands uh, is in um, in the beginning. So he, it says uh, the, the king holding the word in his right hand and then in the booking and uh, bookending at the end, he talks about uh, a man having the son on his lap. So the only uh, begotten son who is the bosom of the father has declared him. And it's interesting how it's like both of them, it's at the closest possible, the closest proximity images you can think of is like having a child on your lap, mm. right? Like any, any like bodily noises are going to make, you're going to hear, right? They're like, they're on you like that. Yeah. If they're afraid, if they're, mm-hmm. if they're hungry, like that's where that need is met. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how close the word and, and Christ are and how, how close we need to be the word. And, and the same way at the beginning, like holding the, the word in the right hand is like the, as close as that word is going to be. Mm-hmm. So just seeing not only how close God is to the word, but also how we need to be, um, you know, constant communion with that. The only begotten son who's in the bosom of the father. Again, separating the distinct personalities of the two. thought that was cool. Having the two images at, at the end of the spectrum. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's neat. I like what you have here. I was just reading about the the difference of how Greeks and Jews would have heard this. Mm-hmm. The, the humanity slash divinity of Jesus. And just in their philosophical way of thinking. I mean, unless there were... unless. Unless they were Jews, just influenced by Greek culture, the Hellenistic Jews, regular Greeks would have had a hard time with this. But but John addresses both parties, which is cool. If you want to expound on that, yeah. So the Greek and Jew would have thought differently about God becoming flesh, and so generally the Greeks thought of the God too low. So if you're any familiar with any Greek mythology, you know mm-hmm. that. They're basically superheroes. Like yeah. Zeus is immoral, mm-hmm. you know, they're, and they're just basically like really strong guys. Demigods. Have a lot of influence over. Yeah, yeah demigods. But yeah, Zeus yeah. isn't a demigod. But like, well, right, 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 right. What we think of demigods is what they thought of gods. Correct. Yes. Right. So they're like very human, and they had control over aspects of the world, but none of them had con- uh, control over Complete everything. Control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, which is, by the way, just a side tangent, real quick. It's it's a it's a big argument for monotheism. Because polytheism just doesn't make sense. Because if God is infinite, then he can't be lacking something. And in polytheism, some gods do this, some gods do that, meaning they don't have what that God has and that God like they're they're almost like almost like the church, where like they're all 
small parts of a bigger thing. And that just can't be if God is infinite and omniscient and well, that's why they keep going higher and higher. So as Greek mythology got more nuanced and they started realizing these flaws, then you get Kronos, who's above Zeus. And then they get Kronos' dad. And then all of a sudden you're like four layers up and then all the way at the top is this, this unnamed god that does know yeah. everything. The unmoved mover. Unmoved mover. That's Aristotle. Uh, and so like eventually you get higher and higher because none of them have morality. Right. Right? There's not one moral no. Greek god. Yeah. Mm. There's bestiality. There's like all these right. like terrible things that would you wouldn't even ascribe to. Well, that would, yeah, it's also, it's such a, a testament to the fact that they were created By because people, yeah. heroes reflect the culture they're in. Right. Yeah. That's why Deadpool's popular now. We have no morals. Right. You know, right. but, and like Zeus and all of these gods, their main flaws were their sexuality because the Greeks were very liberal in that area. Right. You know? were making God too human, the Jews were putting God too high. And so they were wrestling with the idea of um, the God becoming, and the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us because they had a hard time accepting that the God of the Old Testament, the one that made Moses's face shine, the one that made, you know, that the Shekinah glory coming out, the one who had a separate veil separating, you know, uh, any of the presence of God could then just be a carpenter. You know, it almost right. seems like insulting. Right. Which that one I understand more. Yeah, I think I feel like if you had to lean on one of these sides, which would you be on? It depends on who I am. Like if I was a Greek, I would for sure. Well, no, I know. I'm saying right I'm saying now, right is that right prime? If you could, le if you leaned more towards the other one, like I would have yeah. a harder time okay. thinking that the God of the universe came to be a human. Came to be a yeah. human. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I and like, like now he my, stumps his toe. And with, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like now he's, well, no, with my scope, I understand that, but I mean, I because I know how ridiculous the Greeks' religion is, the the the, the ideology of Greek mythology. Yeah. But I like guess. if I were entrenched in that and I thought that was my way up, right, I would sure. equal, yeah. you know. But yeah. I, now, of course, I think the Greeks are ridiculous. Yeah. And yeah. the crazy part is you go to Greece, they still have parades to these gods. Hmm. Yeah, but isn't it just like that's just for the culture? No. I heard it's like a small minority that like. There's like thousands, like not not like hundreds of thousands, but yeah, there's yeah, thousands yeah. of people that still believe. Yeah. And, and they still have, they pay homage to these things. Just yeah. like some way we have saints. They walk in to like, mm -hmm. if Athena had five on the doorstep mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, that's definitely not what they do, but. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Your contact just fall out? Yeah. Did it really? That. Oh, it's back. Okay. It just shifted around. You, I thought you were doing more code for a second. Yeah, it's like it better be fun. Or like I just had a problem. So, yeah, it's similar to that That idea is, and we've talked about this before, like Jesus, the fact that he grew in wisdom and understanding and stature and everything, and that's very hard for us to understand because he was God. And right. understanding the humanity that he took on and the things that he... And, um, is it later in John where it talks about that he doesn't know certain things that only the father knows, um, like the time and place that, right. um, yeah. that when he'll come back mm -hmm. and certain things that we just can't comprehend sometimes the fact that he is God and yet fully human. That's because in, that's a lot to do with his submission mm -hmm. um, of, what is it, Hebrews? He did not consider robbery to be equal with to God. To be equal with God and those things that he chose to, to submit to. One, one being his... Knowledge of his return. Mm -hmm. um, 
Which is where the act, the idea of submission, I think we mentioned this recently, is is so taken out of context for relationships oh, yeah. today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where if one guy it's can equal. submit, you know, right. one of the Godheads can submit to another one. It doesn't in, impute value over another. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so one kind of cool application that I was reading through on Blue Letter Bible today, uh, Charles Spurgeon has a sermon attached to it. And it's not even that long. Maybe if, you, if I read it out loud, it would be, but... He does a nice job of kind of landing the plane a little bit with okay. some of this, where he he pulls together the imagery of God becoming flesh and the imagery of the tabernacle, because this isn't something that we've just realized all of a sudden. Like Jews and Christians for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years have known that when you read this, you're getting links to Exodus. So like, I never saw it laid out like you know Joe did tonight with the seven and the seven, mm-hmm. but the language was always clearly linked back to the tabernacle. And so Jesus is now the presence of God and is... Um, is the tabernacle. And so I don't know if you remember in Exodus, there was a tent of meeting that Moses built outside when yeah. he wanted to access the presence of God, uh, not the presence of God, but you know, communicate with him. And he draws the analogy of like, how close is your tent to the tabernacle? So if now we communicate to God through the word and that we are trying to access the glory of God and, and, and build relationships with God, um, and the glory of God, then how, how, are, how are we today as we're looking at um, the tabernacle of Christ, how close are we building our tent to him? Or are we keeping it further and farther away? Are we building a tent two mountains away? Um, or are we placing our tent closer and closer to Christ so that we can experience the glory of God? And I that was like a cool analogy, like carrying that a little further, where it's not just, um, you know, they're referencing the tabernacle, that's cute, but it's like, Okay, so if the glory of God was then and Moses was the mediator and he decided that he needed to have a special place to communicate with God and not everyone followed him over there. Some people stayed where they were in the normal camp and some people went over to the tent of meeting with with Moses. Mm-hmm. So today, um, are we trying to experience the glory of God and access his presence or are we staying in our camp? Well, to take that even further, I, I would imagine like what are we... What are we making our holy of holies you know like what do we and that would determine where we're putting our our tent of meeting you know like what do we is it a congregation number is it worship performance is it whatever social status you know what i mean that's that would be where we, we park our tent of meeting if it's anywhere else mm. besides the Holy of Holies, you know, being Jesus. So just to go along with your allegory or representation, whatever we yeah. decided it was. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. And so do you have a fake Holy of Holies? Are you building the tent? Are you building the tent, tent close me- to a different tabernacle? Correct. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 So uh, you named some kind of good ways, right? That you could be doing that. Chasing either incorrectly building a tent near something that isn't really the presence of God mm-hmm. or just putting your tent farther. So like what are a lot of the things we talk about like gossip, which hopefully you guys, I don't know, th- at this point you would have heard that, that episode. I- I'm curious if you guys want to give any feedback and if you've noticed that like in your, in your life. So like I asked Joe tonight when we first sat down, um, cause Cole is running late, <laughs> um, <laughs> that, uh, like what, have you noticed any difference? And, and, I know it's a side tra- side show, but yeah, it, is, it is worth like talking about because we we just talked yeah. about it. I I've noticed that I was surprised at how little 
there actually was. Even though we raised the bar high, mm-hmm. I was still like, actually, it wasn't. That, you know, there's been a couple of times, but like not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Mm. Yeah, it wasn't as prevalent, at least in my brain. But it, and in the negative, as much as I saw it, and like my eyes were open of like when it did happen, I wasn't as adverse to it as I thought I would be. I didn't like bring it up or like or walk away like we made the example of yeah. like that and I, I don't always like bring it up to people um which I thought I would. I thought and, I'd be more yeah. comfortable with that. And we kind of established that it's like a multi-party sin. Yeah. So if you just don't engage in it, like the conversation just dies because <laughs> you know it's like all right, well they clearly they don't want to talk about that and then, you know and then just mm-hmm. move on to something else because you just don't engage in it. Yeah, and silence is okay. Like you were saying. Yeah, it's it's fine. We can uh, we can say awkwardness, I don't care. Yeah. I do it every time I ask a question in the classroom. <laughs> yeah. So that being said, that that's one thing where I think you can move the holy and holies away from you. The presence of God doesn't dwell when you're bashing other brothers in Christ. You know? Yeah, no, when you're defaming someone else's name, yeah. You're defaming, yeah. Because that's another image bearer. Another image bearer. Yeah. What's another thing other than gossip do you think pushes the holy of holies away? The presence of God. So say in a Sunday morning, like we're going and we're supposed to be encounter, like we're supposed to be worshiping the almighty creator hearing the word being poured over us. Those are two things where the glory of God should be accessible and like we should be experiencing God's I, grace. This is a good question. I think, so Thanks, like, like, so like the, some of the things that I named, like I think worrying about the performance of church and yep. even its continuity and like uh, the functionality of it, like how smooth it flows, mm-hmm. this and that, like worrying about that as opposed to instead worrying about meeting your brother and sister's needs if there are any yep. which there are so it's finding them um i think that'd be a good one yeah okay. that's just a perspective shift that uh i've come across recently thinking that um i have needs i have things that brothers and sisters that that can fill those needs and can encourage and mm-hmm. and pour into me and i'm looking for those on sunday but I am one person, and there are hundreds of other people out there that have those same needs. And if I'm not also doing what I need, want done, and need it for me to other people, then the cycle can't start. If that makes sense. Well, yeah. I mean, that's like a number one thing from psychologists too. They say like if you're depressed, like help do something, mm-hmm. help somebody out of like their own depression and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And which is like when you think about it, like we're talking about very biblical. Was like carrying each other's burdens yeah. and letting your brother carry yours. Mm. When you really break it down. Yeah, I was thinking some other ways that I see, I would say that the glory of God is put farther away is when pastors preach on secondary worldly issues instead of the gospel. Mm. Yeah. Where they create barriers that don't need to be there. And I'm not just talking about like if the Bible addresses like you're in, in the Psalms and you're talking about knit together in the, mo- in the mother's womb. Like that's one that's it's like I believe that God cares about life from yeah. the inception. You say something like that, but when you're endorsing to dwell on something that doesn't to need to dwell the, on yeah. something, yeah. And if you spend more than a couple minutes talking about like a, an issue um, or, you know, bashing an institution like mm-hmm. public schools or something like that, um, or I don't know, just bringing up lots of po- uh, politics, like endorsing a candidate mm-hmm. or bashing a candidate, like all those things. It just, I, I think that puts the Holy of Holies a little bit farther away. And so in that same moment when you could be using that lens to like look negatively at the world, you could be using that lens to look positively at the God who's the God of that world. 
I think that's a, an issue that churches a lot of times shifts the focus. Because if, if Pastor Vince ever got up and preached and then mentioned, like, these are the po- this is what I hate about Joe Biden, you know, that's the only thing I would hear that day. Yeah. Is what he doesn't like about yeah, Joe yeah, Biden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so th- that made the Holy of Holies further for me. Yeah, I was so hyper focused mm-hmm. on that. I'd be like, wait a minute, I don't, Paul tells us to pray for our leaders. Yeah. Why are you, like, you know what I mean? I'd be so focused on that. Yeah. And I would probably have to say something to him. Yeah. Yeah, like, and love, you know, but yeah. Yeah, and love, yeah, 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 absolutely. But right, meet him in the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> Breast knuckle. No. We're going to throw fisticuffs. No, but um, don't worry about it. Um, you know what? No, I don't know what it calls happening. <laughs> oh, okay. So, yeah, no, there's, there wouldn't be that many things that are biblical, theologically, that if he went off on a tangent or maybe he said something I don't necessarily agree with, that I would feel necessary convicted to, like, to, con- approach, yeah, to convict to approach him. But when you start venturing off of the Bible, and now you're talking from things from the pulpit, it's like, okay, and now you're inviting people to come approach you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and even just small things like I know certain, and this isn't, this, I'm not casting a wide net. I'm just saying for our pastor, it would be weird all of a sudden if you started wearing like Eagles jerseys on the, to the pulpit, right? Yeah, yeah. Because you're inviting tons of conversations about things other than Jesus that yeah. day, right? Exactly, exactly. Right. Now, if now, it's, after if it's the, the service, culture of your church and it's like an ongoing thing where it's not a big deal, yeah. I don't know. Maybe that exists somewhere. Right. But for ours, it would be strange if all of a sudden he would just like go Steelers from the pulpit and then like everybody's like, oh, the Ravens. And that would be like the whole conversation. Yeah, now we're day. talking Cowboys, Steelers. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. We've, we've told the story about the the pastor who says like he, he's a hunter, but he doesn't like talk about hunting with anybody in his congregation because he's like, I don't want that mm-hmm. anything to be a barrier to yeah. what uh, Christ is and who God is and yeah. what I'm teaching about. I don't want like the conversation to be uh, skewed from that. Yeah, and that's a sensitive subject. That would be. Mm-hmm. There's some people, yeah, don't believe in it. Yeah, and also, uh, why are we paying a pastor who's getting all that spare time to go hunting? Yeah, you yeah. Know, just even small things like that, where all the it opens up. Even though yeah. I don't think that's true, like a pastor can have hobbies, like they can do things. Yeah. What? Uh, no, <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> yes, yeah. the hobby should be Jesus. Yes, um, or watching Stu- the Jesus, studying the Bible more. Holy hobbies. Holy hobbies. <laughs> Sounds like uh, the next Yankee Candle shop. <laughs> I I initially thought of Hobby Lobby, but that's just because it's, it's Hobby Lobby. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought of that too. It's why it's like a little Christian candle store. Yeah, so I, I agree. Like we're removing those small things that would push the tents farther away for the people mm-hmm. to experience Christ. As we always talk about in the worship team, like you want to be invisible. Yeah. Yep. As much as you can. Visibly invisible. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to be... A, yeah, it's, it's a tough one for me because I'm like just generally, like I said, with dancing, I'm just like kind of awkward. Like I don't have like a musical, like I don't sway. Like I don't, mm-hmm. if I if I do, it's like I really have to force it, you know? Well, we talked about last week where seeing uh, certain people sing a song and you can see the emotion and um, the things that God is bringing them through in the song that they are singing mm-hmm. and it can move you to the emotion and uh, as well as uh, reflecting on what God has done for you or is doing through you in that song and those lyrics. Um, so it is important to be seen and, and be not seen. It sounds weird. Like I'm trying to, well, no, to mean, yeah, no, that's point. actually what you're actually describing is kind of like not to awkwardly bring it back to this, but like you're, you're describing context when you know, like if you know one of the singers on the stage is going through something insane mm-hmm. and you see them like tearing up or something like that, it would hit for you a lot harder. You'd be like, man, this person's really like, yeah. then if that's somebody who didn't know what they were going through, it's like, okay, yeah, they're tearing up. Maybe the, maybe it's just the lyrics. You know, maybe, but like, you know their situation. So yeah. now you know the reality of it. And it's kind of like context where it's like, 
when you've taken the author's identity and mm -hmm. situation and blah, blah, blah. It's like, it should read different. Yeah. You know? Um, like, I was thinking about this when we, were, when, I, when we were like, I was like writing notes for this tonight. Like, do you think you would be able to, if you just told our young adults group to just like, all right, everybody, I want you all to write a story. Type. I want you all to type a story and then just a quick paragraph short story about, I don't know, a, a dog getting lost and then finding his way back home. Do you think if we all submitted that to you, you would be able to determine whose was whose? Ooh, that's a good question. And only I think I would only if you guys aren't trying to mislead me. No, no, no. no. We, we were genuinely no, 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 no. Just not trying to like throw you off. I'm not trying to pretend yeah. to be cool. Like, I'm just generally writing how the story how I would write it. Yeah. Do you think you'd be able to tell? Yeah, based off the endings. Was one let go because they didn't want it anymore, or was one real happy? <laughs> like <laughs> that just got dark. <laughs> was one thrown out of a window? <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay. Right. I'm teaching a story right now where it ends with a dad throws a dog out of a fifth story window. Jeez. My right. favorite story of the year. Poe. No. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's what I'm saying. So it's like you'd be able to see, read, and feel personality yeah. through the text. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's a lot of what the context does. Mm. I just feel like in yours, like Bennett would be like tortured or something. In mine? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Why? 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 I, would, I love Bennett. I'm just kidding. Just when he slobbers on me. Yeah. Which is what he does. <laughs> like his, his existence is slobber. Dude, I was just throwing, I was just playing catch with him out in your backyard, and you know how like some some dogs like will like. When you fake throw the ball, they're like, yeah, they're like, they're like, they get lost and confused. But after like two, they're like, all right, I get it now. He's not throwing it. He'll never stop. Dude, he never stopped. Yeah. I did it like six times in a row and he was more and more confused each time. Yeah. He's like, how many balls does this guy have and where is he throwing them? My, like, fa my, my favorite is like, I'll go to throw it. And whenever I go to throw it, he books it. And then he's like looking for it. And then I hold it up and he sees it. Oh, and he comes back. And then he, every time he looks back, he's just like, how does he do that? <laughs> yes. Like he threw it's a it. magic trick. And he got it back. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm going to read a, a song lyrics to you. Okay. All right? And um, I'm not telling you anything about it. All right. You may even know it. Okay. Um, what, what, it what, do I have a goal here? What's my objective? So the, the idea is like, I'm hoping you don't know it, and I want you to just give me feedback on the song. Am I guessing the artist or am I? Don't guess anything. Okay. Just give me feedback on what, like, the, well, me I think the, the rest of the song, of the song is. Song. Yeah. Okay. Like the meaning of it. Heaven is the face of a little girl with dark brown eyes that disappear when she smiles. Heaven is the place where she calls my name and says, Daddy, please come play with me for a while. Heaven is the sound of her breathing deep, lying on my chest, falling fast asleep while I sing. And heaven is the weight of her in my arms, being there to keep her safe from harm while she dreams. Uh, God, I know it's all of this and so much more. God, you know this is what I'm making for. So God, you know I just can't see beyond the door. So right now, heaven is the face of a little girl. What do you think that song is like about? I would say a, a father and his daughter. Okay. And 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 or mother and daughter and and finding his ultimate joy or, or or a glimpse of heaven in his relationship with his daughter. Okay. I mean that's that's the surface level immediate yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. So do you want the context? Sure. So this is Stephen Curtis Chapman and his oldest son mm -hmm. ran over his daughter in his driveway and killed her. And this is intentionally. Saying, no, 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 no. He oh, was backing no. out. He, he had adopted her. Okay. He adopted her from overseas, and then he, you know, um, it was an accident. And this is his song saying, "This is what he sees when he sees heaven now." His little girl, and he's hoping one day he's going to hold her again on fast asleep on his chest. Okay. And so for him, heaven now is one day he's going to be able to hold her on his chest and say, you know what, um, you know, uh, what does he say? 
while he sings over her in heaven. And then he sings like the, the bridge is like, but in my mind's eye, I can see a place where your glory fills every empty space. All the cancer's gone. Every mouth is fed and there's no one left in the orphan's bed. Every lonely heart finds their one true love and there's no more goodbye, no more, not enough. And there's no more enemy. And then just to wrap it up with that context, because this makes me cry every time I've heard it out. I, saying it doesn't sound that good, but um, heaven is a sweet maple syrup kiss and a thousand other things I miss when they're gone. Heaven is the place where she takes my hand and leads me to you and we both run into your arms. Mm. And so the idea that the context of this, knowing he's lost her mm. and he's writing this a, a week after she died and he's trying to find Jesus in this horrific thing that's happened where he yes. brought this girl from across the world and mm. then she died. And she might be alive if she were still in China. You right. Know? And then just thinking like, heaven now just got a new definition to me. It's that not only Jesus will be there, but now my girl who's passed before I yeah. made it there, I can hold her hand and walk to you. Mm -hmm. And like that just to me makes this song like so valuable. Right. Like a man who I grew up with listening to his music, his cheesy 90s music, and you heard him say like the great adventure and like all these like songs that were like really nice. Mm -hmm. But then hear somebody be like, okay, I've experienced the hardest thing I think a person can experience, like yeah. losing a child. Mm -hmm. And then saying now my idea of heaven is different, but it's better because I cannot wait to walk her right. to your feet. Um, and so to me, that's the same idea with context, with what you were saying. You mentioned context is what brought that up. Yeah, it's yeah, a context yeah. song and like why Second Peter means so much because it's his dying mm -hmm. words and right, his right, last right. words. And that's why I, I appreciate all the work you did tonight, getting all the historical stuff behind John for, for this book because I think it's going to yeah. mean a lot as we move forward. And same thing, when even well, that's the whole thing that I don't think any of us are equipped enough to be able to put how much more so for Revelation mm -hmm. and yeah. how convoluted that can get depending on different presuppositions you go into it with and, and mm -hmm. you know, things like that. But anyway, um, no, on a more, I think we talked, I can't remember if we talked about this on the podcast or not, but on a more silly note, remember when we watched the, uh, Rabbi Matt Rosenberg talks about mm -hmm. the, the story and the context behind Green Eggs and Ham? Mm -hmm. No, I don't know that. I didn't. I didn't say this before. No. So he talks. So he he reads a section of uh, Green Eggs and Ham, and then he talks. He googled like people's theories on what Green Eggs and Ham is really about, and there's like all sorts of different theories, and people are putting their own things into it now. Like mm -hmm. I think it's about the bipartisan, like you know, whatever, just like crazy things. And then he finally says what it's about. He's like, it's between the guy, Dr. Seuss, and his publisher. Mm -hmm. His publisher bet him that he couldn't write a book in less than fifty words. Okay. And he does it. And he's just proving it's like after he reads all these wild theories about what it is, he's like, this is what happens when you don't know the context. Mm. That's cool. Mm -hmm. And you come up with crazy theories or in our case theologies when the actual context was this. Mm. People do that with the the wine at the wedding of Cana, you know? They'll use verbal gymnastics to get around whether they think this it was real wine or not, or this is that, and they miss the whole symbolism behind it. Yeah, and its connection to Isaiah and stuff, and so it's huge. Mm. Yeah. yeah, one more example. Well, as you were talking, I was thinking. Um, oh, I thought I was going. I thought I was going to mic drop at that one. Okay. No, I'm sorry. It was, <laughs> no, no, it was no, great. No, it was awesome. Kidding. It was a good, it was a better <laughs> example of what I have. But I just uh, did you? Guys no, you know, had the best one. It was the daughter dying. Oh, well, this one's another one. Um, oh, geez. yeah. Everybody, uh, do you know Toby Mac's son passed away? Do you yep. know Toby Mac is? <laughs> I didn't know Toby anything Mac about his son. He, I don't want to lose the whole world. Lose, he's like the white rapper in Christian music. Okay, uh, but he's he's like fifty something now. He's like he's older, uh, but he anyway he his son passed when he, his son was like twenty two, mm -hmm. and he died of drug, drug overdose, and he just put out his first album since then. Mm -hmm. And what I thought was pretty cool about it is that he oh twenty twenty two. 
No, when he was 22, and his new album just came out about it. When it ha- I don't okay. know how long ago it happened, but he stopped doing music. In- yeah, just a couple years, okay. I think. So he just put out his first album since his son passing. Okay. And it's cool because I, his music's always good, but it's always just like I forget about it right away because mm-hmm. it's, it's just so happy. And it's like, I don't yeah. Know. Um, and his, this next album, he specifically was like, I don't want to change what I do because I still have the joy that I had. And he has a couple of songs in there where it's like, uh, the joy is still deep down inside of me, mm-hmm. and I've now realized that it's real, and I want to I want to profess that more. Mm. So he leaned into it, and it's like God is so good, and I am hurting so bad. But the joy that I've always sang about, I don't want to gain the whole world and lose my soul. That was his mm-hmm. big song. Yeah, um, is that it now is more real, and he has more joy mm. because he will see him again. Right, and because he was a believer, and so just even that one, he's he's like. Stephen Curtis Chapman gets it like the the heart of it and how he's actually feeling, mm-hmm. and Toby Max kind of went a little bit different in direction with how he's how he's mourning, and they're both biblical and both real and right. like they both feel like Psalms. Yeah, hmm. that's you know? how Psalms are. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I like knowing artists behind, artist stories behind their songs. Yeah, a, a lot of the hymn old hymns have crazy stories behind mm-hmm. them. Is it "Come Thou Fount"? The, do you guys know what I'm talking about? When we did the real church study, there was a there was an excerpt in there yeah. about that. The the author basically wrote the song and then walked away from the faith. Yeah, and then came back. From and then it. he came back to it, and he mm-hmm. was in a, like a chariot or something, or like he was in a car. I forget what time period it was. Chariot. He was in something, and somebody it was and somebody was like humming his hymn back to him, and he got saved listening to his own lyrics. Wow! And he came back to the faith. Was it the Ebenezer part? Definitely Ebenezer. <laughs> Ebenezer Christmas past, whatever. All right, so. Landis. Yeah, I think for for John one, I I think our sonnet introduction, our prologue, uh, is is a nice framework for future discussions for this. So we're gonna refer back, like yeah. if you're listening to our next couple episodes and and you feel like you're missing pieces, it's because those pieces were laid here, right? Mm-hmm. So this is the basement, and then we'll be building the house. Um, and if you feel like you know you feel like you're on even ground because you're not understanding some of the references to some of the Jewish um, history that Joe painted tonight, mm-hmm. or some of the exegesis that we put from our prologue here, and how if we're throwing around words like oh this is the creation part or this is the witness or um, and you don't know what that means, uh, you know come back here, listen to it, and and take part in you know our exploration of the word. I mean, tonight I spent like three minutes looking for a verse that we were not perfect in what we're doing either, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and to, I mean at least to me. Of the whole part of John's whole gospel, this is the hardest part yeah. to get through his prologue I because agree. one, it sets the scene for everything, so it's intimidating, mm-hmm. and two, it it is it's deep theology that's yep. that's hard to sink your feet in, you know. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to loving Jesus more. I know it sounds really cheesy, but like no, that's as you're, one of the purposes of this gospel. I know, and I know that more now after talking about mm-hmm. it. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying is, but I'm looking at like the next few stories that are told like the not the sections of the miracles and who he talks to and mm-hmm. um talking to nicodemus like all my favorite stories are in here yeah really. like the samaritan woman and mm-hmm. nicodemus like i'm looking forward to seeing the heart of christ and seeing who he is once again to reorient myself mm-hmm. yeah john is one of my favorite gospels actually it is my favorite gospel to only four so yeah no i said it's pretty narrow it down. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> well i feel like if well, you choose four. one of the other ones then you're picking all, three, all three of them three. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like yeah but no this is a very good like jumping off point and mm-hmm. I can see us referencing this a lot. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. I do like now that we, we've been doing deeper studies of the books we've been covering in the young adults group for a couple of years now, or maybe a year. So everything's kind of, Hey, you remember we talked about, mm-hmm. you remember we talked about, mm-hmm. and it's cool to have 20 or so people 
that can just fill two hours of conversation about Mm -hmm. the Bible uh, when we never really had that before. Yeah, that's good. Praise God. Amen. So I hope if you're listening and you don't have that fellowship, get it or start it. Start with two people. Start with three. That could be your own family. Mm-hmm. But to be able to go through that, one cool thing that we decided to do at our church with the young adults group and the and the youth groups is we decided to take the pictures that the Bible Project does in their preview videos of the book where they draw the picture and then have the, hang them up on the wall in the youth room and have the kids sign them. And I hope that they stay up for a while because I think that will be a cool testimony. And mm-hmm. I would love to even open it up to like congregation members that are going on Wednesdays, you know, even like if they're going through a book or something to, to go up there and like how big of, it's not like a church yearbook, you know? Like the oh, kids, to go sign it, you mean? Yeah, to go sign it yeah. and, and see it and just have the kids look up and see, okay, we covered that book. And so Pastor Vince covered that last year and a couple people signed it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Just to see a visual representation of the knowledge. You know? Yeah, it's cool. It's kind of like what Diane does in her house where it's like anytime someone mm-hmm. comes over, it's like sign mm-hmm. yeah. the verse that's hitting you right now or, you know, and sign and date next to it. That's cool. You can always go back and see. Yeah. Because I think it's, if you don't, it's one of those milestones. Like you build an altar so you can look back and. Yeah. It's awesome. All right. Well, you have been encountered. All right. Thank you so much for tuning into the Encounter Podcast and being part of the Encounter community. We treat this podcast as a ministry. We pray for it. We pray for our listeners, and we pray that the guests and the information and the gospel that we share on this channel and this media platform are always and only glorifying to Christ and Christ alone. And while we do that, guys, our podcast sometimes spans one to three hours. So if you hear anything that you disagree with while we are speaking, which is highly likely be Berean Christians. You have a few options. The first one would be to take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. The second one would be to know that your and our authority should be and always be the scripture. So before you take anything at our word, please open the pages of your Bible, read them and find out what absolute truth looks like find it. And then the next step would be to reach out to us. And we would love to learn from our listeners um, as you are listening through a one-way communication to about our podcast. So please reach out to us with questions, concerns. We want to be held accountable. We want to have conversations. We want to see actual growth. But first, take a deep breath. Second, open your Bible. And three, give us a shout out. Have a blessed week.